Hello, welcome to Jesus TV. This television program is called Jesus in This Mess. And so this is where we explore um, the theme of Jesus, the underlying theme of our lives. Um, we put aside the alienation. We get on with the fascination, the real relation, the underlying theme for those who wish to be. And we wish to be. We wish to be and be present with God. And so you do that by always remembering him. Uh, in fact, uh, there are many people who are under covenant to always remember him. And I find it easier to always remember him when things are named after him. So you know what Jesus TV reminds me of? Not just TV, but the other thing too, Jesus. So when I say Jesus TV, guess what my mind does? It's like, oh, this is a special kind of TV. So when I have Jesus tacos, what do you think? I think about tacos, this is true, but I also think about somebody. And so this is the nature of a world where you could create a world where everything is named after Jesus. It, uh, you could call it everything is done in his name. It would be like you live in some kind of kingdom where everywhere you turn, it seems to be George's restaurant, King George, uh, George's hotel. They might mix it up a little bit and say King's hotel. What does that make you think of? Oh, that makes me think of King George. So I am called to a special calling, which is um, a future calling where there's a, a kingdom being built and it's by the kings. And not only will things be named uh, differently, but they will have connotations and denotations. We have that within our Babylon society. Connotations and denotations. Have you ever felt like somebody was um, implying something without actually saying it. Yeah, and so that's what our society is built upon. We have lovely, praiseworthy, good things in our current society, and that's wonderful. And so people say, well, you don't have to say Jesus's name for it to be Jesus-y to people. And that would be true. Um, you would probably, if um, some people have that capacity, I don't. I only think of a taco when I, I don't know, like, oh, uh, you know, that's why we say prayers, like, oh, let's remember who gave us the food, who's the source of our food. And so I'm like, I need a little help. Why? Because Jesus is invisible. He's hard to hear and barely saves uh, those three things. Um, can you help my unbelief? And so like, well, what if we called it a Jesus taco? Well, that would be good. But not everybody else is calling it that. And Jesus says, they don't need to. That can just be your thing, Greg. You're my thing. But eventually, he's going to create a whole society that's like the society you live in, where there's implications and denotations. There's innuendos. You know what an innuendo is? It's where you say something without saying it. Oh, I think he's talking about sex. Oh, do you think so? Yeah, we're programmed to think in these um, poetic terms, and this is a segue to what we're going to focus on, is Jonathan's poem. Uh, so poems, one of the, the features of poems is they can be very subtle, uh, or they can be pretty blunt, head-on, <laughs> and it depends on the poet, <coughs> what their needs are, generally speaking, because God serves up the poet first. So it's like the poet puts his bowl out there, the beggar's bowl, Jonathan does, and guess what Jesus fills it up with? Things that other people need? No, that's not the primary thing. The poet, the painter, the movie maker, the bowl is filled up with things that are addressing their issues. But it just so happens there's a correlation between their issues and other people's issues because they live in the same environment. We live in an environment that Jesus describes as U.S. Antichrist, all those well in Zion, Babylon, cult, cult, culture. Um, and so we share some of the same understandings and some things we just get used to. That's like that, that phrase, all is well in Zion means some people are just per per perfectly fine. You know, they maybe were like the people who go into high school, they go, Muller, why are you having a problem here? Just go get with the program. This is fun. 
this is fun. I'm the student body president. Um, I'm the teacher's pet. They let me do whatever I want here. I'm like, yeah, I see why you like high school. I don't get that treatment. And so not everybody's, we're all equal, but not everybody's treated equally. So life experience, um, but it's also what you like and don't like. All right, Jonathan, well, that was kind of a mashup, and especially towards the end, it kind of started fraying. But I wanted to introduce um, your, um, what, what our focus is. Jonathan's going to share a poem, um, but I wanted to underlay that first, the things that Jonathan's sharing um, serve him first. Um, and the same is true about um, prophets of all sorts. They are channeling oftentimes things that they need to know themselves. And then it just so happens that there's others around them placed in the same time and history and circumstances that get value. Not all of equal value. It's like, no, nah, I'm not really wrestling with that. I used to wrestle with that, but I'm not anymore. And they're moving on to new poems or different poems, different songs, different genres. Okay, Jonathan, give us your poem from Jesus. Can't hear you. That's your Mikey. Mikey. There we go. Um, yeah. So it's kind of random. I just chose one out of the blue because um, I thought we ought to do that. We ought to just share a poem because we can. And I have so many of them. Um, this one I wrote, who knows how long ago, quite a while back. It's called um, All Hired Out. Um, just a second, just a second. And this is what I like about Jesus TV. These interruptions, we don't have to put a sign up. Um, we pause this program for whatever reason. We just do it. And so it's like technical difficulties. There's no technical difficulties. This is just situation normal on Jesus TV. Go ahead, Jonathan. All right. So can you hear me? I can. Okay. My friend said hi here. Hello. Hi, friend. <laughs> All right. So, um, all hired out. I call from within my chamber. Oh, I call from within my empty chamber to no one there. I call for a fife, but it doesn't come. And all the liars are hired to woo the world with song. Mirrored pools reflecting all the things they most desired but lost or hoped to lose. And the world turns round, and the young girls are wooed by smooth guitars into the arms. <laughs> and the girls are, and the young girls are wooed into the, uh, are, are wooed by smooth guitars into the arms of men who disappoint them, but not too much. And they find a little joy here and there, they too. And it's enough to satisfy for a season and an age, a generation but not enough to stop the turning round and round, death and life and life and death. Never-ending misery is the tune, and hope and beauty and solemn resignation and often gratitude for it all. But the song won't stop long enough to hear that there is something deeper than it all, something deep beneath the boards that the stage we all stand on. Goodbye, world, I bid adieu. I'm going down beneath the thing we lost before we ever knew what it was to cry in our mother's arms, the thing we knew before we knew. And now and then I stick my head out through the door and call for a fife to play the tune of something new, but they're all hired out. That's okay. It. Give us the interpretation, line by line interpretation. So I wrote this, I wrote this um, because I was thinking about the fact that there were so many things that I wanted to say to the world and there was nobody to say them. There was, there was uh, in the, in the days when you could get a regular publisher, which some people still do, you know, you could get a regular publisher and 
you could sing a song, you could say something new, and the publisher would do all the work of of playing the song to all the different bookstores and all the different people. And he would go out and toot a horn, you know, and tell the song that you're singing, play the song that you're singing. Now, um, it's like, it's like there's to play the tune. You kind of have to, which, you know, I'm starting, I'm going to be going busking, you know, it's like, I've decided that in the absence of somebody to, play my song for me. I'm just going to do it, do it myself and read my, read my works wherever I go. And, um, and so, uh, I'm kind of evolved a little bit in the sense of like thinking about what is being played. You know, it's like men playing, you know, the, the, the smooth guitars. It's like, you know, what is the world trumpeting? It's the same old song, you know, it's like a never ending misery. That's the tune. It's like, you know, what do you need story to, you know, have a good um, movie? Well, lots of conflict, lots of miserable circumstances and hope too. you know, good things, hope and um, and, you know, and all those good things. But it's just a never-ending thing, and what I started to picture in my mind as I wrote the 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 song the poem was, I pictured the stage, you know, of the world, or just a stage, but I was down beneath the stage, like digging a hole down beneath the theater, you know, and finding these treasures. And every once in a while, I'd stick my head out the trap door. You know how the a lot of times they have a trap. <laughs> I still is hey some somebody somebody needs to you know look at these things I'm finding somebody needs to to uh, tell the world these things you know but they're all hired out all the and I kind of did a it was kind of a play on words came all the liars are hired l y r e s you know liars like the old you know old style guitars yeah that's great oh yeah a double meaning liars and liars you know. Yeah. They're all weird, you know, to tell another another tune that isn't quite so much based on truth. Um, and uh, it was just kind of like uh, mourning a little bit the fact that there's nobody to, to go out and sing my song and to go out and tell my story. And it's kind of fitting as I think about it now. I didn't think about that when I chose it. I just picked it randomly. But, you know, it's kind of fitting because I'm to the point in my life where I've decided I'm going to have to do it myself because I can't. There's nobody's going to do it for me. I've got <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So Jonathan, Jonathan has arrived at a place that um, God has been taking me for a lot of years. It took me a long ways to understand that. Um, and it's called finding your voice. Well, sometimes you found your voice, but it's like, no one wants to hear my voice or they're not clamoring. So you're like, well, I'm right here on my block. I'm selling lemonade. They should all line up. This is delicious lemonade. And and soon as somebody comes and tastes this, they're going to tell everybody about it. Um, oh, you know what I need? I need a, a lemonade store. I need a, um, a franchise. Um, so I need to convince people. And then you, you know, you start having them tell lies um, about your lemonade. Oh yeah, this will improve your health. It's not lie lies. It's just like yeah, we all need the Pythagorean theorem. Is that a lie? Well, it depends on how you look at it. Uh, Ten percent of the population probably needs that theorem, but no, um, it's kind of a lie. Um, and and hence it is we live in a society where um, people tell us. Uh, how about we call it half-truths? That feels better. They're not lying. And, and it, it's just um, they're not disclosing. They're not being fully transparent. So when you say, how you doing? And they say, oh, I'm doing fine. Is that a lie? Well, no, it's kind of like a half-truth. Um, and Jesus excelled at these. They would say, oh, are you going to call Jesus a liar, Greg? No, I'm going to call him uh, sometimes not fully transparent. Uh, and his apostles would understand certain things, and they were wrong, and he knew they were wrong, but he did not become fully transparent <clears throat> um, and tell them, 
because you knew, well, eventually I'll see that I was going to die on the cross and that I'd be resurrected. Oh, now that makes sense because he was talking about how you can destroy this temple and it'll be built up or whatever it is. Um, and he would use poetics. And so Jonathan's actually using um, the language of we don't want to call them lies. We're kind of like journalists. We don't want to say President Biden was lying. And sometimes it's not. So you'd have to have a whole discussion of what that is. Good luck. That's like trying to resolve um, the problem of evil. Um, it's like, what is a lie? And that sounds like the devil. Oh, who's to say what the truth is? Oh, my goodness. Don't, don't, don't go down that slippery slope. Um, well, I'll come back out of that slippery slope that I just went down to. Uh, philosophizing about what a lie is and come back to the liar that being the um implications uh, that uh, poets can do oh we were thinking jonathan while you were reading that poem that you were talking about liars people who don't tell truth but now you bring to our attention and, and had i had my eye on that i would maybe have been able to oh he's talking about people who play um a old-fashioned guitar but Jonathan say, well, actually, Greg, I'm talking about them both at once. <laughs> like, you're talking out of two sides of your face? Well, that's what poets do. Oh, I wasn't introduced to the lies that poets tell. Well, those aren't lies, but like I say, we're not going down that slippery slope, nor will I call it a lie. I'll just say that's um, called ambiguity. And that is not a lie, but it's the nature of life is that we run some ambiguity, uh, especially when you get closer to Jesus. So that's the mess. Uh, the more you know, the less you understand. The more you trust Jesus, the more vulnerable he'll make you. The more all in you are, the more risk you, you have to face. Um, so back to the poem, Jonathan. Um, kind of final thought here. Um, Jonathan and I have been going back and forth um, in the last 48 hours about this underlying theme is that when you have something wonderful and you want to share with the world and the world um, doesn't want it or doesn't want to support that they might go, yeah, I see that has some value, but they don't want to do what Jonathan's saying. Go tout it. They're already touting a bunch of stuff. So it's a competitive marketplace. If you've got awesome songs, doesn't matter because you don't look like Taylor Swift. Why should how I look matter? Um, I'm, I'm sharing a song. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, this isn't the days of Mama Cass. Go Google Mama Cass, who had a beautiful song, but she didn't look beautiful, which ties into Jonathan's poem about beautiful people that I love. He, he shared. I hope we get to share that one, Jonathan. Um, but, but uh, yeah, Mama Cass didn't look like, but that was a different era. Now, these people who will actually promote your stuff, they don't just care about how you sound. Oh, yeah, good, good voices are dime a dozen. They talk about body language. How, how can, you, can you perform up on stage? Well, <clears throat> this is about my voice. This is not about how I look. Do I need to say that again? That sounds very sexist. Uh, is, is this like some Miss America pageant where I've got to look really good? It's my voice. People listen to the, um, the, the Alexa and the Echo, and they just say, play me Taylor Swift, and then that's my voice. They're not looking at me. And they go up, oh, sorry, you're in the video age. They're looking at you and they're judging you and trying to decide whether to listen to you by how you look. What kind of lie is that that we are sucking in? Well, um, we created this beast. Our collective hearts did and we voted on it. Yep, I think I'm going to vote that I don't want my, I don't want to see Mama Cass. Taylor Swift, can you sing that, that one song that Mama Cass sang? I can. Oh, that would be so much better. And I say this from the perspective of a 60-year-old man who claims that Jesus gives him songs that um, uh, Jesus has baptized. In other words, Jesus puts new lyrics to classic rock songs and then sends them down to me, and then I share them without my name on them because they're from Jesus. That's what I, my story is. And uh, Jonathan was um, listening, and I, I love that he loves one of these songs. Um, it's called the Hallelujah Core Us, um, uh, and that's kind of a play on words, of course, you know. Uh, it's a song by um, Cohen, which, if you look at him, he probably wasn't a looker, not like, not like John Cougar Mellencamp. Yeah, John Cougar Mellencamp, a looker. But um, Brother Cohen, you probably recognize that song. 
I heard the friends of Hallelujah. It's always a hallelujah song. I can't, I can't pull it up. But the point is, um, God has me put these into karaoke fashion. That's part of the mission. I got 150. I'll get 2,000 eventually, either directly to me or to other songwriters. And um, then they'll turn into karaoke. Well, Jonathan saw one of my karaoke's and he loved it. And then he saw some other stuff. It's like, that's not very good. Um, and um, he later was very cute because he came back and said, no, I wasn't criticizing you, Greg, and, which I love, Jonathan. It was, it was a cute interaction. It was good interaction. But it was at, at, at the fundamental root of, um, of what I do. Because I'm called to just rough stuff up. And, and, and this is the, the nature, like so, songwriters oftentimes are not the stage presence. Oftentimes, you're songwriters, like ghostwriters. So I don't know, Taylor Swift, maybe she does write all her stuff. And that's cool. And that, I, I love it if she does. And I don't care if she doesn't. Um, that oftentimes, these people have, uh, it's just like late night writers, they have writers who come up with those jokes. And that's why it's kind of hard to tell jokes right now on late night TV, because they're on strike. But um, they have writers. And the, and the writers don't have to look good. No, that's Jimmy Kamel or uh, Jimmy Fallon or, or uh, uh, you know, uh, oh yeah, Bill Maurer. He says he's going to go start doing his show with, um, without writers, and so he's he's going to be less funny. Um, less, he'll have to leave out certain segments, but he's like, hey, my my show's about talking, and so um, he um, these writers, these people behind the scene, the people who are under the stage <laughs> digging up treasures. Popping their head out, hey, look at this. Um, well, they would like to be on the stage too, um, but oftentimes you have to accept your role. Jim Steinman, for instance, uh, wrote songs for Meatloaf, and and that guy wasn't a looker per se, but he had a stage presence. Whatever it was at at his time, they had a voice. That's what he had. He had a a, a ten voice, a ten talent voice. And so, however, the marketers marketed that, it worked for a time. But Jim Steinman, he wanted the stage, but he knew his voice wasn't a 10. He did one album, um, uh, and it, uh, it wasn't bad. It was good. I thought, man, you got a nice voice, but it wasn't a 10 voice, according to those who listened to that. And so um, I, I'm going to just draw this to a close by saying, so Jonathan and I were having discussions about something that um, – uh, is uh, wrestled with by every artist, um, by every person, really, um, is that you can find treasures, you want to share them, but there's pathways, there's, um, and, and these pathways are guarded pathways, they're kind of like heaven, not you can't go here, unless you say the words, or you know somebody, um, and so, um, if I knew Taylor Swift, uh, she might be able to not turn me into a Taylor Swift, but she might be able to get me gigs where otherwise I couldn't get. And that happens a lot is it's who you know, oh yeah, we'll give him some time. And then, you know, I can go places where I would like to go. Um, but Jesus has taken that out of my heart. Like, no, if Jesus doesn't want me there, um, that's fine. So I call it going to the nursing home. Well, Greg can play the guitar at the nursing home. Well, I, pretty much anybody can if they learn a few hymns or something. And um, so does Greg think he's meatloaf or a Taylor Swift approximation? No, he doesn't. <laughs> he thinks he's a nobody. And that's what I had to accept is like, um, but what I like that Jonathan's doing is opening that hatch. Hey, I got this. And so Jonathan's doing the same thing as me. I share it widely. So there are certain pathways and these are um, where we're at in, in history is God has created this electronic world where the gatekeepers can no longer shut certain people down. Uh, you can actually go worldwide. Now, people still get to decide whether they want to listen to you or not, but, and, and, and some of these media corporations and others are trying to shut that down, but it's cats out of the bag um, that God will allow um, nobodies to travel and be sharing widely. Now, um, getting an audience, you, no one, even Taylor Swift, can't force an audience, but um, she has these systems that 
bring them right in. And she's just having sold out show after sold out show. I'm not going to, nor is Jonathan, but we have pathways. And Jonathan's about ready to take an old pathway, which is you just go sit on the street. I have that pathway too. I call it street preaching. I said, oh, you'll be basically doing what I'm doing. Jonathan is street preaching, um, sharing the words of truth, light. I call them sharing the words of Jesus um, out on literal streets, but also metaphorical streets, which are, the, that's where it goes worldwide. The, the metaphorical streets, the virtual streets, like right now on Jesus TV, that's what we're doing. This could go worldwide. There's nothing that stops the world from accessing this other than they don't know about it. Uh, we don't have marketers. Uh, they don't like it. Uh, that's real possibility. Um, or it hasn't, it's not time. So there's sometimes times things that no one likes until they like them. Um, because maybe grunge has been going for years and years. But grunge wasn't the thing. And then all of a sudden, people are like, oh, I love grunge. And grunge, in the words of your poem, Jonathan, uh, Jesus' poem, it has its season. And so these, um, your poetic words, um, and like what's, what's being put on the stage, it moves in seasons. So um, enjoy your 15 minutes of fame is what people call it. So um, there, there's tropes to understand this, that yes, even Taylor Swift will eventually fade away and eventually all graves go unvisited. They won't visit Taylor Swift's grave. That's correct. And there we are left with that sediment that I, it kind of bleeds through um, his poem, which is men live lives of quiet desperation because as eternal beings, we want to be recognized eternally. It's part of, I want to live forever. Do you really want to live forever? Says Alphaville singing <laughs> forever young. I want to be forever young. Do you really want to live forever, forever young? And of course they're doing that ambiguity thing. Like, really, do you want to live forever? Um, yes, forever young. And so that, um, that is the nature of humanity, um, that we, we are infused. We have DNA that cries out for, um, I want to be heard. I am, I said, to no one there. And no one heard, not even the chair. <laughs> That's Neil Young, who actually got to um, get on the stage and sing Sweet Caroline, which has been baptized in its Sweet Jesus Lord now, um, at least in my Jesus Christ world. And so um, I'm going to end this a long thing by saying what Jesus has done is interesting in my life. He says, um, yeah. I'm going to create a world, Greg, where you have access to all the pathways. All those pathways you wanted, I'm going to create them for you. Um, but I'm going to create them within this sphere. Um, it's a little sphere. I lived in a little sphere when I came down to earth. It was called the Jerusalem area. So Jesus, when he was down on earth, <laughs> like he wasn't super popular. He traveled like within, I think, the 30-mile radius. It doesn't matter if it's 100 miles. It's just like nothing. It's like if nothing burger came to earth. But it wasn't a nothing burger because, because of the Father and, and, and the plan that he has undone. And so that's the nature, even of people who do make the stage, they have a story. Taylor Swift has one. Anyone who's been on that stage, they have what are called breaks. They have certain things that if they hadn't happened, those doors hadn't opened, they weren't going to be able to take their treasures up out like Jonathan out of the basement or under underground and show those oh i've got these beautiful songs no um that's the work of god um yeah that's the work of god and um and it um that's what he's doing but basically helping me build a world where i satisfy that need and it's in our dna it's like are you the only one greg no no it's it's in poems it's men with lives of quiet desperation which men men and women everyone and and it's unresolved. So it's like, and it will be in my life. Um, and we just have to live with unresolved things. And that's then brings us to God. Like, can you resolve this? And he can eternally. So I'm just pointing now to the deep um, needs that we have as humans and understanding those are put into us by God. And they're meant to draw us un unto him. And so we get to live... Um, well, we may live quiet lives of quiet desperation, but we also can live lives of soft, small, 
approximations. So that's what I do. I live approximately what I want to do. And so that's what Jonathan's doing. He's like, okay, no one's going to give me the stage. I'm going to take the stage in Chicago. I'm going to be sitting right here by this building, going to be singing the songs. And uh, maybe somebody will find me. But maybe that somebody's just a raggedy old lady who's pushing a shopping cart and she brings tears to her eyes. Oh, I love that song. Oh, thank you. And Jonathan feels an approximation of what Taylor Swift did on the stage. Well, that's not right. He shouldn't feel what she feels. No, but she feels joy. And I, I think she, you know, she's the little girl down there who's just like, oh, you've made my day, Taylor Swift, by touching my hand. Uh, so God is trying to train us all to love small and simple things. Can that raggedy old lady that they call the basket case lady, can she touch Jonathan's hand? And Jonathan reaches out and um, receives the $1 bill. He says, well, I, I got a can right there. You can put it in, but thank you. And then the woman drives away and we find out later it was Jesus. <laughs> Once I be a busker, that was you, Jesus. I missed it. But see, Jonathan, of all people I know, has a chance of not missing that, of actually seeing that that lady, she's no Taylor Swift in terms of looks. But that, that raggedy old lady, she was just Jesus dressed up like a raggedy old lady. And that's what Mother Teresa would, um, would actually sustain Mother Teresa in her concocted world, the world that she created a bubble around. As she would serve the poor and the needy, she would tell herself that she was doing Matthew, was it 48, 24, something like that. Um, Inasmuch as you do it unto the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. So she would minister to these people. They had maggots and whatever. They were dying. Um, she would minister to them with the understanding, the private understanding in her mind that she was doing this to her Lord and Savior, that that's, that's who these people represented. Um, and so she got a great deal of satisfaction to the degree that she could believe that. And she said, you know how she practiced believing that? Because that's hard to believe. She would take the Eucharist every morning. She would take what we call in our faith, the sacrament and, and take, eat, this is my body, drink, this is my blood. And so she would believe that, that flesh, literal flesh on earth is Jesus' flesh. So to tie it back to my story, sometimes we have to have reminders um, of what it's all about. And most people who get on stage like Taylor Swift have those moments where they have to remind themselves, it is about the music. It's not about my looks. Yeah, this is part of the gig. I got to do this. But it's about that little girl who was so happy to touch my hand. And, and it's about kindness. And so I think, you know, I think Taylor Swift probably is a good daughter of God. As far as I know, I don't know. I can't judge her, but I know that she makes a lot of young girls happy. And, and uh, there's worse, worse examples. We could um, rip at her for, you know, what she wears and, and some of her songs and so forth. But I'd rather just emphasize the positive and let Jesus judge that. Because um, I don't, I don't want to envy her. Um, I think it's cool. There's part of me that would envy her and all these rock stars. But it's not what I want. I, I want to live in a world where I'm okay with the raggedy old lady or raggedy old man um, imagining that that's a worthwhile human being and that they like that song. And the, the, the Jonathan said, Greg, I really love this song, that um, the Hallelujah Chorus. Well, that gave me what, what I could have got on the road, driving from town to town. It's like, oh, that's, that's very satisfying. And, and I give the same to, to Jonathan. I mean, I don't, I don't lie to him, say, I like that poem if I don't like it. But he's got a lot of poems I like, and he's had to have that suffice. So God's big on sufficiency. Okay, well, that will be sufficient for my needs. It's not like luxurious. And that's what, so rock stars oftentimes have luxurious praise. And then they have a hard time with what to do with that. Like, I walk out on the street and people think, oh my goodness, it's like Gandhi. Or, or I, some of these fans, they would drink my bathwater in the rooms, in, in the words of Dennis D. Young. He actually said that. And I'm like, I think some people would. Oh, hey, here's some bathwater from Dennis D. Young. And he knew whoa, that's, that's messed up. Um, and so he, he had to deal with that in his own mind. And, and these people have to deal with fame. It ain't the easiest um, walk that is on earth. Um, and some of them have to unplug from it. Like, 
I just can't, I can't do it uh, because it just messes with your mind so much. Uh, Jonathan and I don't really have to worry about that one um, because it's easy to say no one really wants our stuff. Well, a few, and then that's where our work is, is um, appreciating the few. So like the few people right now listening to or watching, I'm, I'm going to go to you, Jonathan, right now. The, the few people that are watching or listening to uh, Jesus in this mess, that's adequate. That's, I mean, it's up to Jesus. And that's what I tell myself. Like, you are the guy, Jesus, who gathers um, the, the people who um, uh, you want to have listen to this. So we feed your sheep by just throwing it out there, which I just did a lot of wordage. And uh, now I'll turn the, the mic back over to Jonathan. As it looks like he's getting ready to make a smoothie. <laughs> I am. Um, so, so, all right. So, um, you know, I find it interesting that um, I had a couple thoughts as you're talking. Um, first of all, um, so there are different types of people. You just froze up, Jonathan. Jonathan just froze up. We're waiting to hear. Okay, you said there are different kinds of people. That's where we caught you last. So there are different types of people. Oh, just a second. Let me make sure I'm on the right internet because it'll get all messed up if I'm not. Yeah, it wants to switch on me. Let me switch it back. Is he back? Is he coming? There we go. You're back. Sorry, when I come to this apartment complex, it wants to switch to the internet that's here, which is no good, and I have to switch it back to the... Oh, uh, right, to your cell tower. So, um, all right, so the um, so there's different types of people. And um, it's taken me a long time to realize that I'm a certain type of person um, and to accept that and to have that be okay. And um, it feels like it's been a very long road coming to that. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's um, you know, so there's, there's young people who want to be musicians or writers or whatever. And it's mostly because maybe they like to read books and they're like, oh, I want to be a writer. Or maybe it's because they like rock stars and they're like, oh, I want all that fame, you know. And um, and the truth is that um, that you could say that they're kind of a dime a dozen in a sense. It's like I remember as a, you know, 11-year-old, 12-year-old, 13-year-old boy, you know, like playing the air guitar and you know, and dreaming about being up on stage and stuff. And it's like, really what they want is they want, they want fame. That's a different thing than being, than being a musician, you know? And it's like, there are many musicians who became musicians because they wanted fame. And, um, and so, you know, in the poem, it talks about all the liars are hired out. It's like, Right. So there are lots of people in the music business who are there because not because they're musicians, but because they are desirers, lusters after fame, fortune, etc. Now, that's going to shift because it's interesting because it's getting to where you can't make as much money doing some of these things. And fame is kind of becoming like not as big of a thing, which is really kind of strange. It's like everybody's famous. And and, and it's becoming dangerous. People can dox you. What, you say that last thing? It's becoming dangerous. Um, you becoming famous. Uh, now people can find out where you live. Before, like, hey, where does Elvis live? How do I get into his house? Oh, there's drones. You know, it's like it, it's becoming more and more dangerous to be seen. I'm just adding that. 
a good point. So, um, yeah, the more people that know you, you know, I think I told you that story about the comedian who said, you know, in the old days, you had to lay down some serious 80s cash to go to a concert and say, you know, and yell from the front row, I hate you, Lionel Richie. But nowadays, you know, in social media, you can actually tell the person you hate them, you know. Um, so, so yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's a weird, that's the other thing that went through my mind as you were talking is that it's a strange world we're entering into it was it was a strange world in the years of fame and fortune, but it's an even stranger world now that it's like fame and fortune are becoming common and like you said, more dangerous and yet more um yeah, and it's like so anyways, um, but there's two different types of people. So there's the type of people who, you know, they play music because they wanted fame and fortune. And there's the other type. And the other type is a really interesting type. And it's, it's not actually, you know, like Elon Musk often says, like, you wouldn't want to be me. Like, you know, it, it's, it's like being, it's, it would be kind of, being Elon Musk would kind of like be, be like being insane. You know, it's like you have this brain that cannot stop. And then you have this drive that, you know, will work 18, 20 hours a day because you have these dreams. You just cannot help but but bring them to fruition. And, um, and so it's, it's, it's very, so it's very weird. It's the same with a true musician, right? Like a true musician is going to play and he is going to do it. Whether there's fame, whether there's fortune, you know, it's like, if he doesn't eat, he'll do it, you know, um, because he can't not do it. It's just, it, it's just in him. He just has to do it. And, um, and so there's different, like, I remember, um, so I don't know if you know who Charles Bukowski is, but he was a poet and a writer of novels, wrote a few novels. Um, but he, um, um, he, he, he started, um, getting published by, by publishing in um, these these sex magazines, basically, and um, and he was a very salty, you know, like like spent his time with horrors and drinking and everything, and that he has a past, you know, a childhood that explains why he was so messed up, but so it wasn't a big deal for him to write sex stories, and you know what he said is that you know he got he he wrote for years but he finally got to a point he just he just had to he worked at the post office he finally quit at the post office because he just and he just decided like if i starve i starve because it was in him to write and it was like and he couldn't do anything else and so like with these sex magazines you know he what he said was you know he would um he would tell the story that he wanted to tell and throw some sex into it. And then that would make it so that they would accept it at the, at the, um, the magazines that were willing to publish his stories. And, um, and um, of course it's not the most um, chivalrous and, uh, and honorable way to do things, but um, from the framework that he came from, he just, you know, it was like, fine, if you want some sex, I'll throw in some sex. But he was the sort of person that it was like he had to write. And if you read some of his poetry, some of his, his writings, it is some of the most profound and deep and meaningful stuff that's ever been written. And some of it's like really smutty too. But it's a, he's a, a paradox and a dichotomy. So I'm taking forever to say this. He's a guy that had to write. And I was surprised when I found out he wrote the smutty stuff because some of the stuff that he wrote that was profound just really moved me. So that's one. Another one is like, um, so so <clears throat> I went through this phase where at night I would I would watch um, replays of like America's Got Talent and stuff in the evenings because I would get depressed in the evenings and I want to kind of escape. That was my escape. I'd watch these people get up on stage and sing or something. Well, it was interesting because I found with the people who would show up on stage, there were two types of people. There were the people who'd been singing in the room for years and years, you know, um, dreaming of being famous. 
and now they get invited to America's Got Talent, and they're hoping that America's Got Talent is going to make them famous and make it so that they can have their dream of being a musician. And then there were these guys who came on to America's Got Talent, and they had been being musicians. They had been playing in bars. They had been playing for weddings. They had been playing because it was who they were. It was what they did. And they couldn't not do it. Like they, it would be kind of nice. And people who you find, like if they're real musicians, it's like um, they can't do anything else. They almost, it's like a curse. Like I wish that I could make this soul of mine stand in a factory from nine to five and put together widgets. It would make my life so less complicated. I could count on regular money. I could, you know, I wish I could do that, but I can't. And these people would come on stage and for them, America's Got Talent was one more gig. It just happened to be in front of a bunch of people, you know, and it might make them famous. It might not. But guess what? Next next weekend, they'd be doing another gig somewhere else. And so strangely, it's like I'm 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 taking forever to say this. Forgive me for that. But. I'm kind of coming to the realization that I'm the latter type of person. It's like, it's taken me years and I've, I've tried my best to go and stand on the factory floor and produce widgets. I have tried my best to do all the things that all the people who matter most to me have wanted me to do. I have tried with all of my heart to do that. And at the end of all these years, what I've come to realize is it's like, if I break, if I make it, you know, I'm not trying to make it. I just, I, it doesn't, if I eat, I eat. If I don't eat, I don't eat. I'll eat. You know, it's like, it's America. I'll eat. But, you know, um, but the point being is it's like, I, it's, and it's actually a comfort in a way to finally accept. It's like, in a way, it's the end of one life and the beginning of another, because it's like, it's like, um, what I do, I have to do. And um, and it's my livelihood. That's the strange thing about it. It's like, there's a lot of people out there, their livelihood is, you know, making widgets. Their livelihood is this, their livelihood is that. It's like, it's strange, because for me, I'm finally accepting that this is my livelihood. It's like, what I share, what I write is my livelihood. And it's like, it's a big step. I'll pass it back to you, but it's like, it's like, it feels like an important place that it's like, I'm finally, I think I'm just like, okay, I'm getting out of the cellar. You know, I'm, I'm going to stop digging. I'll probably still be digging, but, and I'm just going to get up on the stage because nobody else is going to do it. And I'm going to do this uh, um, because I can't not it's, 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 I'm finally to that place. Um, so I'll pass it back with that. It's, it's, um, it's, uh, and, I, and so let me say this last thing. The last thing is just strangely, what I found is that oftentimes those people end up making some sort of an actual living from it because it's volume. Remember we talked about volume a while back. It's like, it's like if you play in enough bars, it's like, I don't care if you don't have that great of a voice. If you play in a thousand different bars, what do you think the chances are that you're going to find some sort of a following? If you play on a thousand different street corners, what are the chances that you know, you're going to have a certain amount of people who say, I'll help you, I'll allow you to live, I'll give you a livelihood, I'll give you enough food to put into your mouth and the few other mouths you have to feed? So um, a lot of times these guys will make it, quote unquote, make it just because they're constantly doing it and they, they can't do anything else. I'll pass it back. Yeah, that's right. And I like how you frame it. Uh, and it's unfamiliar to people, just like Elon Musk. Um, it's very unfamiliar to most people to have such a passion um, a useful passion, you know, or at least a lauded passion like art or writing or um, building companies that would um, would overtake you like that. 
But people are overtaken by a lot of things, like addictions. Oh, I can't believe that somebody would become addicted to alcohol. Yes, we actually can believe that. <laughs> but you're like, what if art was their alcohol? Oh, well, that doesn't make sense. I don't understand that. Well, they didn't understand alcoholism either. <laughs> so it's not like we're be humble. It's like, there's stuff we don't understand, like what's going on in Elon Musk's head. But Elon opens his mouth, because I saw the same interview, and he tells people, because the alcoholic can say, okay, well, here's what it feels like. And, uh, and not, it's not all good. You can see some good effects, but that's kind of like the guy who plays the thousand bars and then ends up with this one bar that they just love him. And they, they get more clientele and they're like, uh, you know how um, we keep having you come back um, and we give you food. He goes, that's the only food I eat all day. And thanks for the doggy bags. That's what I eat in the morning. Well, you know what? We think we need to be more fair with you because we're, we're making hand over fist because of you. So we're going to start giving you a stipend. We're going to start um, taking care of you. We've got, we didn't, we didn't mention this, but we've actually got an apartment above here in the bar. Um, so free housing. And what, what happens is that the bar who's been taking and abusing him realizes we want this guy not to go to the thousand and one bar. We want him staying right here. Um, and we're willing to become what they would call a benefactor. And that has historical precedent where you say, oh, this artist is so good. Some rich person goes, I, I want this art to come out into the world. I want it myself. And so then they would start funding, you know, I don't know, Michelangelo or whatever to do stuff, um, to do their thing. Um, and it doesn't have to be a high thing. It can just be matched. Oh, you do such a good job in the nursing home and everybody seems to like you. And, you know, you could be a nursing home. You're like, I didn't want to get stuck in a nursing home. But maybe, and, and you won't be, because maybe you're the person who goes, uh, no, I'll play, I'll play for the next year here, but um, I feel to move on. And you're not moving on so you can be more famous. You're not moving on because you need more money. You're just moving on because your soul tells you to. It's uh, like a gypsy or something. Well, what I'm speaking of, I just want to tie it back to some things that people might understand. So could we live in a weird, ahistorical time that we, yes, we live <laughs> post-industrial age. But if you went back to agrarian times, there's people who they feel in their heart. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of farmers who like, oh, I'd love to do anything but farming what I'm doing. They had to do it. It's like, I got to do it. Otherwise, my family starves. But there's other people who just like, they love it, even if they're not good at it. And that's, and they, they live and die by that. So in a different society than we live in historically, and this has always been true, um, historically, way back, people would die, literally die for their occupation because they, um, they, they loved. Some of them died for occupation they didn't love, but they would die because they're like, this is all I know and this is all I want to do. And you can find they're, they're even existent now whose lives are just wrecked because they cannot. They just love farming. And so until they lose the farm, they're farming. And people could say, well, it's not advisable. What you should do is maybe be like a school teacher. <laughs> and as a school teacher, they'll be just like every moment, like, oh, I need to hit the fields. Oh, oh, I want to hit the fields. I would so much rather hit the fields. It's just like a, it's like they're addicted to this thing. Um, and who are we going to blame in there? I don't know. Do you blame God for the alcoholic? I don't, I don't know that I need to sign any blame, but... God's aware that he had, he sent certain individuals like a tuning fork. And man, once they're tuned to that, they're like, um, why does the dog always just eat dog food, dog food, dog food? Uh, it's got to eat something. And, or maybe a rabbit. Why does it chase rabbits? I can't get it to stop chasing rabbits. <laughs> well, you're human. You're not going to be able to understand everything. You can go listen to scientists. So what we're talking about is, um, you know, indirectly is, these forces um, that possess us. And um, there are people who have studied this, like Carl Jung and so forth. So we have unconscious things, but it affects all of us because whether Jonathan's talking about what um, possesses him or other people like him, including myself, me getting more Jesus by any means necessary, and it, it puts you at risk, but so does 
the things that we're addicted to, like well, let's suppose you're addicted to making more money, which is a very useful thing, by the way, <laughs> making a lot of money because you can solve a lot of needs. You know, there's people who like, they, they don't retire. Okay. And that's kind of laudable. It's like, oh, yeah, I like to do a lot of good. But what you don't know about that person is they would die if they stopped working. And they, and then, in fact, when they kind of forced to retire, guess what they do? They die. You're like, oh, so really there's people who they like their occupation. That's what Jonathan was talking about. They like their occupation so much. It's like giving them life. It's like their meditation. It's like somebody inserted a pacemaker inside their, and, and it's the only thing keeping them alive. The pacemaker wasn't a pacemaker. It was a job making widgets or doing this or that, um, being a secretary. And once you took that away, it was like you took away their meaning, their purpose for being. And you do that to a human, okay? There's a reason why one spouse, you know, you got these 80-year-olds and the, the woman dies. I tell you what's going to happen to that man. <laughs> Sometimes that man's like got a month left. What? No, no, he was perfectly healthy. Something changed in his life. Oh, his companion went away. So there are forces, and that's what you're, I'm, I'm just trying to dramatize and give these things precedent, and we, we don't have the capacity as humans to fully understand them, but they are valid, is what I say, Jonathan. Go ahead. Uh, can't hear you. You're, you're muted. There we go. Is that better? Yep. All right. So um, what occurs to me is that, um, so it's like there's a word, there's a couple words that comes to mind for that. So um, vocation is a word that's been used, that is used for what we're talking about. The idea that you have a vocation, and it actually kind of implies a sacred calling. And so... We think about vocations like um, Catholics use that word quite a bit, I found, um, the word vocation. So what are you called to do? Um, what's your calling in life? And um, I get the feeling that what God really wants is like there, there are as many vocations as there are people, and he wants people to find their vocation. And... It doesn't mean that you don't do other things along the way. It doesn't mean that you, you know, it's like that you go wash some dishes so that you can eat and get to your next gig, you know. Um, it's like, but when you're very clear about what your vocation is, when all of your focus, all of your is is brought into one thing, then it becomes something beautiful. Um, the first book I wrote, the parable that about the parable of the talents, I talk about this. I talk about the idea of vocation. And the idea that that it's like, you know, um, God allows us to invest our time and our talents and our money into um, into a life calling, and it, it's it's and you know we could say well it's like it, you know it, people have been about survival for so long like you talked about the farmer, it's like you know I wonder how many different personalities of farmers there were. It's like, you know, nowadays you think, well, you know, you've got to choose a different profession based on your, based on your personality. And it's like, like, right. But it's like for a lot of years, that wasn't a, uh, um, you know, you couldn't really decide. It was like to eat, you had to grow your food and that took all your time. And there was something beautiful about that because the earth heals, the earth gives you something good. So I don't think it was bad, but we were entering to a time where it's like, we don't, not all of us have to work at agriculture all the time in order to eat. And so it, it's like, there are people now that it's like this luxury. Some people nowadays, it's like, man, I just got to get back to the earth. And they feel no better than when their fingers are in the soil constantly all day, 16 hours a day. And it's like, see, for me, like, I think that's super beautiful when it's like, you're not doing it because of survival. You're not doing it because of money. You know, it's like, yes, you got to earn some money at the end of the day. You're, but, but you're not doing it. That's not your primary motivating so, you know, reason. And, and I get this feeling. It's like the earth has to shift now into this because we're destroying the earth. It's like farming 
for the sake of money is literally destroying the planet. You know, and it's like it's like whether you're Democrat, Republican, whatever, the one thing that, you know, it's like even if you, you don't think it's as big a deal as maybe the leftists say it is, you still know that we're pumping like massive amounts of pesticides into the Gulf of Mexico. You know, we're we're eroding we're eroding eroding our topsoil at a at a rate of one uh, percent per year. Eventually, you have no more topsoil. It's like it's like we're doing these things that are because we have made everything about money. It's like it's like why do you get up and go become a farmer? Well, because I want to be a millionaire. It's like the guys who have these massive farms, they're millionaires, you know? And, and you know, it's like, well, why do you get up and go write songs? Because I want to be a millionaire and be famous. Why do you get up and go, you know, it's like those reasons won't do anymore because it's destroying the earth. It's destroying our families. It's destroying everything. We have to do the thing we do. Our job, it has to become, I think this is where the God wants us to go, is it's like your job is as sacred to you as your religion. It's like, it's like, why do you sing songs every day? Because I can't not sing songs. Why do you go? So I'll tell one story and then I'll pass it back. So do you know who Kate Wolf is? Is a folk singer? Okay. So Kate Wolf was 1970s folk singer into the 80s, I think. She died early. She was only 44 when she died. She was one of those people who just, she felt called to write music and wrote some of the most beautiful folk songs. And um, she told her husband and her husband said, well, I don't want to be married to a musician because you're going to be traveling, et cetera, et cetera. So he basically divorced her because... And she said it was really hard for her because she was she knew she had to produce music. It was just in her. And she ended up, she was one of the very first private record, record labels. So she didn't get a contract with one of the big companies. Um, and so she grew really slow, but she she basically forsook her family for the sake of what God she felt you know, she was called to do. And she's one of the most beautiful souls. If you ever listen to her music and, or, or she's one of the most beautiful people ever for a while, her kids had to live with her husband while she was getting on her feet because she couldn't make enough money. And, and luckily he was kind, her first husband, but he just said, I'm, I'm not going to be married to you if, if you're going to go off and be a musician. So I'm going to pass it back to you. So it's like, Oftentimes, when you find your vocation, you discover that it comes at a cost. And it's like, but you have to do it. It's like, I'm going to do this whether I make money or not, because it's what I'm called to do. Yeah, well, I like that. That's a good place to end it, um, that there's sacrifice required um, always for everything. So sometimes we sacrifice our dreams, and that's appropriate. Um, that we could have been that, perhaps, uh, that thing that we wanted to be, but we gave it up so we could have children. <laughs> or, or we give up our children so that we can do this thing. And there's many people who've gone to war, they gave up their children. What do you mean they gave up their children? They died. They knew it was likely. Normandy, anybody? <laughs> it's like, and they were honored. It's valorous. Not everything's valorous. So sometimes you're doing the valorous things, but it's not understood within that generation. That was very valorous. Um, it, it may have been a disruptive thing, like civil disobedience or so, so forth. And later it will be appreciated, like, oh, that needed to happen. Oh, that must have been hard to do that. But a lot of times they couldn't help but do that, like Rosa Parks, like, I don't know why. I'm just not going to move. <laughs> you're just sitting in the bus. And that one act starts the whole fire we didn't start this fire no rosa parks did but ultimately it was jesus and so um jonathan's called the hard things i'm called the hard things i think everybody is the people that the widget makers um may have had a dream may have done the air guitar but just thought mm, um, i have to suffer this now and so that's um 
yeah, it's messy. Um, and that's what we deal with. We don't shy away from the messiness of following God here. It's like, no, that's, that's goes with the territory. We're getting used to it. We declare it. We go, no, that's, that's still Jesus, even though it's really messy. Uh, would Jesus have somebody write salty things for a sex thing? Um, well, he would permit it. I can tell you what, he permitted it. How do you know? Because he did it. Um, now, whether he purposed it, you can have that conversation in philosophy 101. I have no interest in that. I'd like to just dis dismiss those things and say, that's somebody else's life. You'll have to pick, take that up with Jesus. But yeah, I'm comfortable with saying he permitted it. Uh, well, he permits a lot of things. Yes, he does. And he's Jesus. But guess what? He also denies a lot of things. The devil wants to just take and light this earth on fire. And Jesus like, uh-uh, not going to happen. That would frustrate my plans. I intend to burn it with fire. <laughs> it's like, what? Yeah, Jesus is going to light this thing on fire. Oh, the devil wants to do it? Yeah, but he can't. There's nothing he can do. Um, you know, nuclear powers and so forth. Well, yeah, we're probably going to see some of that. But no, there's going to be a cleansing. And um, so God is overall, and that's, that's the story that I'm going to preach and teach and live um, in my own little world, Greg. You don't have to worry if you step up with something else. Leave something else. Then, then Jonathan or Greg, um, Article of Faith 11, we claim the privilege of worshiping Almighty God according to dictates of our conscience. We also claim the privilege of believing all things, whatever we want, and then just kind of see how it rolls, like some kind of scientist. Let's, let's believe this for a while. Let's believe that for a while. So what you actually have heard is a bunch of beliefs. Then you get to decide for yourself. And that's what you'll hear on Jesus TV. Um, we are like preachers. Jonathan's a poet. I'm a street preacher. Um, I also do poetic stuff. Um, and um, we're looking forward to Emily Powell joining us if that's what Jesus wants. Jonathan and I don't make those things happen. <laughs> we didn't bring her. We didn't send her away. Um, we love her. And uh, so we remember her. And I, I'd be saying that a year from now or 10 years if Jesus still has. Like, remember when we used to have any power? So wonderful and so sweet. But we leave that to Jesus and we wish her the best. Any, that's my final thought. Jonathan, anything on your end as we wrap up? Um, I don't think so. There was a thought I had just a second ago, a really brief one. Um, but I, I've lost it. I, um, I think that's good. So we'll call it. And Dan, I know you got to get All to right. church. Excellent.